Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 376 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. So excited to have John Gordon back on the podcast. And today's episode is brought to you by Pro Media Fire. You can book your free digital media strategy session today at promediafire.com forward slash church growth and by Remodel Health. Visit remodelhealth.com forward slash carry where you can learn how you can save on healthcare in 2021. Get access to their free savings calculator, brand new ebook, buyer's guide, and so much more. Well, it was uh, sure fun to have John Gordon back on this episode. So John helps leaders stay positive. He's written numerous best-selling books, and his talks have inspired readers and audiences around the world. His principles get tested by numerous Fortune 500 companies. He is always consulting with professional and college sports teams, school districts, hospitals, not-for-profits. His 20 books include The Energy Bus, The Carpenter, Training Camp, You Win in the Locker Room First, and he's been featured on The Today Show, CNN, CNBC, even The Golf Channel, and Fox on Friends. And his clients include the LA Dodgers, the Atlanta Falcons, Campbell Soup, Dell, Southwest Airlines, the LA Clippers, Miami Heat. Uh, Kind of fun job, right? Graduate from Cornell. And uh, in this one, He actually does a parable in his latest book, The Garden. He does a parable about the Garden of Eden and talks about why so many leaders are defeated. And that's why I I really was excited to have him on the show because I don't know about you, but I find the mental game we play in our heads is a huge one. And a lot of leaders get discouraged by the five Ds, doubt, distortion, discouragement, distraction, and division. And... um, Yeah, so we talk all about that and how to improve your public speaking while speaking to a camera. His life changed like everyone else's did. So I think you'll really enjoy this. Hey, if this episode means something to you, let John know about it and me. Uh, I'm Kerry Newhoff over on Instagram, C. Newhoff on Twitter and Facebook, and uh, would love to hear from you. So uh, the biggest digital Christmas in history is coming (laughs) next month. Can you believe it? Four easy steps to make it a huge success. Prepare your marketing message through creative storytelling. That's step one. Step two, create digital pathways from social media to your website. Step three, use a touchpoint system to drive engagement for the services. And then finally, step four, deploy a strategic engagement follow-up campaign for lasting growth. So that's a pretty simple plan. But if you want some help, fulfillment is about getting it right. And that's where ProMedia Fire can help with a team of creative and digital professionals to help you make an impact this Christmas. So Want to know more and get some help? Book your free strategy session today at promediafire.com forward slash church growth. And then finally, I love good news stories. And listeners, you have already saved $2.1 million on healthcare in the last year and a half simply by going to remodel health. And what this means, and I love this as an employer, I always, I'm somebody who believes that you should take care of people. What if you could get the same or greater benefits for your staff in terms of healthcare? at a lower cost. I mean, who wouldn't sign up for that? So uh, times are challenging enough for leaders. We don't know what 2021 holds, but if you want to get a grip on healthcare, head on over to remodelhealth.com forward slash carry. 
And what you can do is find out how this will work for you. There's a free savings calculator, a church buyer's guide, brand new ebook. And uh, how do they do it? Well, Remodel Health is the health benefits software and consulting service that helps you save money by switching organizations from traditional group insurance to individual plans for each employee. You can tap into significant savings and again, um, stabilize or even improve the benefits for your team. So if you want to be one of the organizations that saved over $2 million, well, head on over to remodelhealth.com forward slash carry. Do that today and get in before it's too late. Well, without much further ado, let's dive into my conversation with John Gordon. John, welcome back to the podcast. It's so good to have you. Harry, it's great to be with you. I just appreciate you so much. Well, and fun to catch up a little bit in uh, this whole new world we live in. We're both speakers who are grounded. So you're you're in Santa Monica. You're doing virtual events right now. Doing a lot of virtual events. So much so I have Zoom butt. And, uh, <laughs> Zoom butt sitting there all day? <laughs> Zoom butt. So I think it's a, it's a condition that's a, it's a new condition that we're all experiencing now, but it's something that actually I've enjoyed doing the virtual keynotes. I do love the road, but, yeah. but at the same time, it's been nice to connect with people virtually. And I've, I have found that you can actually connect in meaningful ways to people. I've worked with some sports teams. I work with the Minnesota Timberwolves via Zoom. I actually spoke to the Seattle Seahawks the other night via Zoom and it was a real intimate connection we had as we were sharing because they're looking right into the camera. I'm speaking to the camera and we're having this interactive dialogue about how to overcome the five D's. I even talked about what we're going to talk about today. So it was pre pretty cool to have that experience. Well, you got a ton of communicators listening to this show right now, um, preachers, but also business leaders. So if we can go there before we talk about your new book, which I really want to get into, uh, a lot of people are complaining about Zoom communication, how it's not the same or looking into the camera. What are you finding, John, that connects? Like when you're trying to talk to the Seattle Seahawks, how do you, how do, you do it? What are some of the tricks and tips? Sure. Well, it's not the same, but you have to adapt and innovate. So we have done three Power Positive Leadership virtual training events, over 100 people at each event we've had. And people said it's been the best training they've actually ever been to. We've had a lot of those kind of comments. Wow. What we, what we do is we do a lot of polling. We do a lot of interactive things. We use the chat so people are, are interactive in the chat. And then we actually break people up, which you can use the Zoom feature. You can break people up into small groups. And so during the, during the training, you actually put them into groups of four to five to eight people. And they have this intimate conversation around a topic that you put out there. They come back, they've talked about it. They've created a connection with those people in the group. And now they're talking about it with the larger group. And you get some people to share just like you would in a workshop where someone stands up from their table and they share. So you're actually doing that feature. So it's very, very interactive. And when they're sharing, a lot of them will actually get on the video and they're sharing. When you're sharing, they're looking at you. So it's almost like this interactive discussion that's going on. And then I'll do a Q&A a lot of times where it's interactive with the Q&A. And you take questions in the chat, but I like it even better when someone asks the question via video. So now it's like this interactive dialogue via video. So there's a lot of things that you have to do to make it interactive. But if you're just talking and you're just sharing and it's a one-way conversation, that's not going to work on, on Zoom. It must be interactive and having people share it back is, is the key. So you do all that through Zoom. You do the polling, you do the interaction, the chat, the Zoom rooms, the breakouts, uh, small groups, all of that via Zoom. All via Zoom. And that's what we have found has really been uh, very 
successful and productive in our, in our trainings. Well, that was a pretty quick pivot. And I mean, you know, I've seen some people innovate a little bit. Um, Do you need a producer for that? Or is that something you can all run or how does that work? Like you got a lot of people who are are small staff. So uh, do you have a staff that runs all that for you? Or are you just presenting? We have a small team that does it. Actually, my head of training, Julie Nish, she runs the training. And we'll yeah. have one of the other trainers actually just help out as part of the uh, the team. And I'm on the call as well. I'm on the Zoom. And so we just have a team that's actually supporting the technology aspect of things, letting people into the room, making sure the, the polling is shut down, making sure we have the Zoom rooms being taken care of. And actually, you make a couple of people co-host, and it works pretty easily. Now, for me and the Seahawks, it was just me and them. And so for that, I did a little bit of a chat, right? Took some questions and then shared my story and then took some more questions and had this great dialogue back and forth. And I think, again, the dialogue, the interactive discussions is what makes it very interactive. So when you said it was the Seahawks or, uh, you know, the Minnesota Timberwolves, I, I kind of imagined a locker room and they're all up looking at a camera, but they were probably all on their individual devices. Were they from their homes or wherever they were? So it was after practice. So they're in their rooms on their cameras, iPads, phones, whatever, asking questions. And gotcha. so you could actually see them in their rooms or, or some guys laying At the in the hotel bed or as, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. As 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 you're talking. But 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 again, still pretty cool. And I guess the fact that they're in their rooms and your room and it's you're in your room, it's after practice. So now it's like this interactive kind of intimate conversation that you're having rather than Maybe where I'm used to, where I'm in the locker room, the guys are all there and you're talking, they're being distracted by a million different things. In some ways, it actually creates more focused attention to have that kind of conversation. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I think that's one of the reasons Zoom is so fatiguing is it does take your full focus, you know, very much like this back and forth, back and forth. Like when I do two episodes in a day, that's a good day, man. That's a relatively full day for a show. You know, I'm doing other things, but it, it takes a lot of focus. Any tips for, because you do have tens of thousands of communicators listening, for how you've had to pivot your in-person speaking style without the crowd feedback to uh, speaking into a camera or a computer? I think that would be the hardest thing for all of us where we are actually talking and we're not getting the laughs back. We don't Uh know. We don't know what's landing and what isn't. Like I've actually said things and laughed myself and I'm not sure if I'm getting the laughs back. But you know, I've decided I'm actually sharing and I'm going to bring that joke. And if I think it's funny, I'm laughing. (laughs) And and it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks, because if I'm having fun more often than not, the audience is actually going to enjoy it, too, or they may actually just enjoy that you're even laughing yourself. So like I've I've been asking or actually been saying, hey, my wife and I were talking and I asked her on a scale of one to ten how much she likes to be married to me. And she said, you know, pre-COVID or now. And so. I don't know if they're laughing or not, but I think it's funny every time I say it, right? And so for me, it's about, yeah, you, you make the joke, the timing has to be there. And that's the thing, you actually work or you get better at being in front of the camera. So you actually work on your timing in front of a camera. It's very much like acting is what I've been told. Mm. I didn't know I was doing that, but you look into the camera, you may pause a little more, you may have a different set of timing with the camera, but it's really a different kind of presentation and you just have to get used to that camera. The key is you can't look at yourself while you're presenting. <laughs> Our good friend John Acuff does some hilarious 
humor about that. Like he's like, I never realized what I really looked like when I was when I was speaking, and now I'm looking at myself while I'm in the camera. Yeah. He's like, yeah, I think I look really serious when I'm saying that. Or I actually look really good here. It's so funny the way he has uh, a lot of humor around that. John cracks me up. John and cracks so, everyone up. He's so funny. So I, I think that's the key is not looking at yourself to make sure you're looking at the camera. But I do love to look at people while I'm talking. It helps me, me when I have a Zoom room and you can see people, even if some of them aren't interacting. But if you could see a few people and you crack a joke and you see them laughing, all right, you know, you know you're on it. So you're getting some of that feedback. I do not like the ones where I'm actually speaking and you can't see anyone. And yep. so you just have the thing recording. You're speaking and you don't hear or see anything. You don't even know if 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 it's still working. Like everyone can be frozen and you'd still be going and not even knowing if it's working. So I think that's the roughest part is when you're not getting that feedback. And I gotta admit, when I'm done, I am exhausted. Yeah. I mean, I am exhausted. I've done one to two of these a day almost every day for the past few months. And it is exhausting. It's exhausting in person too. I guess the benefit is you don't have to get on a flight after you've given everything you had on stage, but right. even even more so, you're putting it all out there. You're not really getting any energy back. And so you're done. And then you go, okay, I'm going to go to the kitchen and get a drink now. And it's like, it's just funny how you like, you, you, you get done and you walk downstairs instead of- I spoke to a whole bunch of people airport. and now I'm in my kitchen. No, you, right. you've, that, that <laughs> is exactly the dynamic. And then it's like, oh, hi, honey, how you doing? You know, it's like- <laughs> But you raise it. You raise a really good point. You know, we just added a YouTube channel to this podcast last year. But I have done since the inception in 2014. I've always done video. Now, video's gotten a lot better. We didn't broadcast it because we weren't set up for that. But I always wanted to see the person I was talking to because I give a much better interview. Like half of what you're communicating is through your eyes, through through your body language. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. He paused there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back with a follow-up question. So I, I love the idea that you can communicate when you see people. Okay. Well, you wrote, how, how many books is this for you, John? Is this your- 20, 22 books now. I actually wrote Relationship Grit with my wife that actually just came out after the garden. Wow. Prolific time for you, COVID. That's incredible. Um, so- well, both uh, were written. Both were written before COVID. So- I wrote Relationship Grit with my wife first. We finished that on December 25th. And then I said, should I write this next one? I had an idea to write about the five Ds. And I was taking a walk and literally God gave me a fable to write with the five Ds. I was going to write just about the five Ds in an informational style writing, nonfiction style writing. And God gave me this fable idea to write. And so I knew I needed to write this fable. So I started literally that day. And I finished January 8th. So I did not expect to write two books back to back, but that's what happened. And then with COVID, everything going on, our printer got shut down with our publisher. And so it worked out where we thought, okay, which book should come out now? Because I really had to pick one. And my wife is real supportive. She said, you know, I think I think the garden should come out now. I said, I agree. It feels like that's what God wants right now. It was It's a fable about, a spiritual fable about overcoming fear, stress, and anxiety. And think about all the anxiety that everyone's feeling right now, all the yeah. stress, all the fear. And I just knew it was meant to happen right now. So the garden came out. And then a few months later, we just released Relationship Grit. So that's how well, it worked out. Congratulations. And the garden debuted number one Wall Street Journal, which is incredible. 
And um, man, you got a cooperative publisher to be able to turn it around that quickly in just a few months. They're great. And that's what I love about working with John Wally and Sons. We've worked together now for all these books since 2007. Wow. They're really supportive. I wanted to write this fable, the spiritual fable. It has my faith in the story. Yeah. And I said, look, you're a business publisher, but I really want to write this book in this way. And they said, fine, like whatever you want to do. And so I'm thankful that they're really supportive of, of the work that I'm putting out there and, and how I want to write these books. So how funny though, I write this spiritual fable, a faith-based fable, and it debuts number one on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list. Hit the list for four weeks straight, I think. The only book that I've had that actually came out that strong and hit number one, the energy bus took five years for it to be a bestseller. <laughs> this book hits number one and it's, it's not even a business book, which is just crazy how God works. And I actually struggle with whether I should, should write this book. Should I put it out there? Because again, my audience is mostly business and I've had a number of wall street journal bestsellers. I work with a lot of corporations. And I thought, okay, if I write this faith-based book, will that hurt my business talks and my business audience? Yeah. But I knew loud and clear when this book came to me, I knew with all that people are struggling with that I had to share this message. I had to take a stand for my faith, for God, and I had to put this work out there. And I guess in many ways, right, God rewards faithfulness, but also I believe it was the message that people needed to hear now, and, and God knew that. Well, you haven't hidden the fact that you're a Christian, a Christ follower in your business career, but you're right. You're always in front of some NFL team or NBA team or, or corporate headquarters. Um, and you haven't hidden the fact that you're a Christian. If people asked you, you would talk about it. Why this book in the five Ds? So the garden, I don't want to be a spoiler alert, <clears throat> Garden of Eden. Okay. Right. It's based on the book of Genesis. Why did you think you had to get this message out? as you coach business leaders? It was the time talking to so many business leaders, talking to professional athletes, talking to people who are struggling. I could see the battle that they were facing. We we're facing a spiritual battle between good and evil. It was so clear to me, this battle. And the five Ds are what the enemy uses to try to win the battle against us. So once you understand these five Ds and you realize you're in a battle, you then can have the game plan to counter and win the battle, right? Yeah, so yeah. I basically have to share how the battle is being waged against you. And God showed me how the battle is being waged against us, what the enemy uses, his game plan. And so just like in sports, when you know the defense, you can now create an offense to beat that team. So you know what the enemy's game plan is, and now you can actually counter it. And God gives us the game plan. So God showed me what the enemy does, and then how we can win the battle. And I knew I need to share that because I see so many people losing the battle. And we have so many young people and so many people who are even believers that don't even realize they're in a battle. And if you don't realize you're in a battle, but your enemy does, what happens? Well, you get your butt kicked. Yeah. And that's what's happening right now. So many people are getting their butt kicked because they have forgotten they're in a battle. They think they're in a playground. Meanwhile, they got to realize they're in a battleground. And once you recognize that and realize, oh, I'm going to battle. I now know what the enemy does to try to beat me. Great. Okay. Well, I'm putting my armor on. I'm going to focus on winning this battle every day. And now I have the game plan. So I want to armor people with the truth of what they needed yeah. to do to win the battle. So if God gives you the solution and he gives you the blueprint, you got to share it. And I know, I know a lot of people know the blueprint, but God gave it to me in such a way that was so simple that I share in the book. How did that happen? Was, like, 
So simple, so powerful. You know, I'm a believer in Christ and I became a believer in 2007, baptized. Erwin McManus led me to Christ. Yeah. And so that's why the character's name is Mr. Erwin in the book. <laughs> that's awesome. And so Mr. Erwin, who takes these two teenagers into his backyard. He's an old family friend. I had to make it so that Mr. Irwin was very trustworthy and not some creepy neighbor. Right? Yeah, yeah. And so, so I established the relationship up front and he's a great neighbor. He's a great family friend. And he shows him this garden that he's been working on. And he modeled his backyard to look like the Garden of Eden with the two trees in the center, the tree of life, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And so these two teenagers are struggling with fear and stress and anxiety. And so I want to use this as a backdrop to teach the lessons of the Garden of Eden and what Erwin had taught me in so many ways in leading me to Christ. And one of the great sermons Erwin gave was about the battle of identity, about how the enemy attacks you in the place of your identity. And so when, when Erwin taught me that, it was, it was revolutionary. It was just something I never heard before. And a lot of people hadn't heard before because what I wrote in the book and what Erwin said was that Adam and Eve ate the fruit not because of pride that they wanted to be like God, because they already were like God. They were made in the likeness and image of God, Genesis tells us, before that even happened. So they already were. It's because the enemy convinced them that they weren't. Mm. They believed the lie that the enemy was telling. And I thought that was such a powerful teaching. And I knew that I needed to share that because when I work with these professional athletes, for instance, these are some of the greatest performers on the face of this earth the most talented, and yet they face the battle of their identity that if they don't perform well, they're not enough. Mm. They're not loved. It's a battle I face, right? I'm a speaker, I'm a writer. If I don't write something great, people are gonna look at me and think, oh, his best work was behind him. His talk yeah. wasn't that great, right? This podcast was boring or he didn't bring <laughs> it. And so you always have this battle where you feel like you have to perform when really, Jesus teaches us and tells us that we are enough, that, that we are loved, that through him is where we find our identity. So I knew that what happened in the garden gets reconciled on the cross. Mm. And I had to share the whole framework and the whole story about, about how that happens. And it came to me. I mean, I'm not someone who is a biblical scholar. Yeah. And so God literally gave me these five Ds and as he gave me these five these, I started to, to write about them. He literally started to speak through me in such ways that I was sharing things and writing things down that I didn't even know I was writing down or even know, I didn't know that I knew those things. I was writing those things. I would ask Erwin some questions. Derwin Gray, who's also a pastor. In yeah, China. Derwin's a good friend, both of them. Yeah. Yeah, so Derwin was very helpful because I asked him some questions about the tree of life. So I knew about the tree of knowledge of good and evil, but I want to know about the tree of life and what that represented in terms of abiding and trusting in God. So they could have ate from that tree, but they chose to eat from the other tree. And so in understanding the story, I was able to then present it in a very modern way, talking about the actual issues we're facing now and how that story is so relevant to right now and hmm. so powerful. Can I share some of the five D's? I, I want to go through all of them bit by bit. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, when we talk about the five Ds, we have to talk about doubt because it starts with doubt. The enemy plants seeds of doubt that God can't be trusted. And that happened in the garden, right? When the serpent said, did God really say that you couldn't eat from all the trees in the garden? Such a crafty no, question, John. That's, right, right. Oh, man. 
So doubt, yeah. Now, now, top performers, did they struggle with doubt? Like everybody struggles with doubt? Totally, we yeah. all do. Doubt that we're not enough, doubt that we're gonna not perform well, that we don't have it today, doubt that this adversity is bigger than us, that we're not gonna overcome. We have doubt right now that we're not gonna get back to normal, hmm. that the future is, is we have doubt that about the future, that it's hopeless. And so we're always filled with doubt. And whenever we're filled with doubt, it really means that we're not trusting in God. We're believing in the enemy's lies instead of trusting in God. Because God created abundance. He said you can eat from all the trees in the garden except this one. And so he said you can eat from all of these trees except this one. So God was providing abundance. But what did the serpent do? He got them to focus on the one tree that they couldn't eat from. Hmm. Think about that. God provides abundance and the enemy causes us to focus on what we lack. How often do we do that? We have all these gifts, all these talents, all these resources, and God causes us to focus on the one thing we don't have or that we don't have as much. Like, I don't have as much followers to my podcast as Carrie does. And so, you know, I I, I start to compare, right? Oh, yeah, we but then there's now, Joe Rogan, right? So there's Joe, Ro there's Joe Rogan. You look at Tim Ferriss. We're looking at someone else. And so you have this incredible podcast, one of the top podcasts in the world, and yet you might even focus on the fact that you don't have as many as these other people. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we often hear about comparison and how that's the thief of joy. But, but God will cause us to focus on what we don't have to compare against others instead of just being grateful. And so God gave us abundance. The enemy says, no, you don't have this or you can't eat from this tree or God is providing someone else with more things than you and more stuff than you. This person has a bigger church. How come God's blessing that person with their bigger church and, and my church is struggling and we can't have the amount of people that they're having? How come we don't have a, as big a response? How come they have more of an online following? How come that pastor has sold more books than me? And we start mm -hmm. to focus on that. No, you're right. And, and that never goes away. Does it like like everybody? It doesn't matter what level of the game or business or success or whatever you're at. This seems to be just a human thing. Well, it's 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 a human thing because it represents right our human nature and our flaw. But I would argue that if we're trusting in God, we're not thinking about any of that. If we're focusing on our path, if we're just abiding in God, then we're not worrying about any of that. It's the enemy that plants the seeds of doubt through thought, through thought in our mind that says to look at those very things that we don't have. It says, did God really say that you couldn't eat from all the trees in the garden? No, they couldn't just eat from the one. So he's planting seeds of doubt that God can't be trusted. So we're always getting those seeds of doubt. You can't trust God, trust in me. And why does the enemy do that? Because he knows that if we will believe his lies, we won't trust in God. And if we don't trust in God, we will believe his lies. And so that's the second D, which is distort. So from doubt, there's a distortion that happens, a distortion of truth. And the enemy is always distorting truth with lies. He lied to them in the garden by saying, if you eat from this tree, you will be like God. He's lying because they already were like God. And so he was planting the seeds of doubt and lying. And the enemy is always lying to us. I always ask people, do your negative thoughts come from you? I even ask a lot of Christians. Yeah, this. I, want to, I wanted to ask you that question because you make the argument in the book. Uh, and I, I, don't, I don't want to give it away, but you make a, a very clear point about that. And your argument yeah. is, no, they don't come no. from you. 
No, they don't come from you. Who would ever choose to have a negative thought? Who would ever choose fear? Who would ever choose doubt? Who would ever choose these negative thoughts that sabotage us? We would never choose those thoughts. So those thoughts that sabotage you are not coming from you. They come from a spiritual place. They come from the enemy. They come from the spiritual soul level. I don't know how it works, but in consciousness, right? A spiritual Mm. place. No one has ever found a thought inside of your brain. When you're sleeping and having dreams or nightmares, are you choosing those thoughts? No. And so the thoughts are always coming in. And those negative thoughts tell you that you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. The future is hopeless. They cast and plant seeds of doubt and fear. And so those thoughts are always coming in. And it happens so quickly, Mm. so fast that we actually think they're coming from us. So the thought comes in and those thoughts often accuse us, right? Accuse us of what we lack. And so it happens so quickly. We think it's from us. We then repeat those thoughts. We reinforce them. Well, Well, first we believe them. And then we always reinforce them. Then they become a pattern. And then we actually feel guilty and shameful for having those thoughts in the first place. Mm. And so those lies have a goal. The enemy's goals with those lies are to discourage us. The enemy knows that he can't beat us himself. So what does he do? He gets us to beat ourselves. And so we don't give up because it's hard. We give up because we get discouraged. And that's really the main goal of the enemy is to, is to discourage us. And we see a lot of people right now in this world, they are feeling discouraged and they're yeah. giving up. And I, I really, if you had to ask me like, why did you write this book? It was to encourage. It was to let people know, do not give up. Those are not, those thoughts are not coming from you. They're coming from the enemy. It's a spiritual battle. He's trying to get you to give up. Don't believe the lies. Don't give up. Stay encouraged and keep moving forward. And the word encourage means to put courage into. I love that word. Yeah, Yeah. put courage into others, put courage into yourself by encouraging yourself. And the more we do that, we encourage, we speak life, we give life. And I think right now, I don't think I know, we need a lot more encouragement. True, Kathy said, how do you know if a man or a woman needs encouragement (laughs) if they're breathing? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's true. So those are the first three Ds. We got doubt, distort, discourage. And I know a lot of discouraged leaders right now. And it's interesting that those are the thoughts that the enemy plants. And you're right, he kind of takes himself out of the picture. So we just beat ourselves up. Uh, What's the fourth D? The fourth D is distractions. And so the enemy knocks you off kilter. You're discouraged now. You have these doubts. The lies are coming in. And then what happens? The fruit was appealing. And that's where we make bad decisions based on distractions. We think the grass is greener in a relationship. We may make a decision that is really against what God has for us. It's because what we want in that moment, just like eating the fruit, it was about self-reliance instead of relying and trusting in God. And so we make a decision that's not in our best interest. Or maybe we go after the bright, shiny object. We want the wealth. We want the nice car. We want to pay more to look good. Whatever it may be, there are distractions. And here's the deal. A distraction is anything that keeps you from being all that you are meant to be, Hmm. from being what God has planned for you. That's a distraction. And so even social media, right, is a distraction. Video games are a distraction. If you can use them in moderation, they're not. But we all know that we've been distracted by things. And I'm someone who's included in that in terms of allowing distractions to come in. King of distraction. King of distractions. And let's talk about the media. The Bible of the fearful. That's what I call the media. The Bible of the fearful. And too many worship that form of communication. 
They worship the media instead of the creator of the universe. And so we have so many people that are being distracted by all of the media, all of the negativity, and they're taking the bait of hate. They're picking political sides. And as a result of that, they are totally losing their way. COVID has really caused a division by all the distractions it's created. And that's the fifth D, which is division. So division, the whole yeah. goal of doubt, distortion, discouragement, and distractions is to ultimately divide you, to separate mm. you from God. And that's what happened in the garden. It was to separate man from God. So they took the bait, the distraction happened, and it separated them from God. They believed the lie. They listened to the enemy. They got discouraged. They were distracted. And then they were divided and separate from God. Now, here's the thing that's so interesting. The word anxious literally means divided. Yeah, it's I did Greek not know that until word. I read the I didn't book. know either. I didn't know either. And it's Greek root word, anxious means divided, separate. And so when we are anxious, we feel divided. We feel separate from God. And it's so interesting when we see so many people who are so anxious right now they feel separate from themselves. They feel separate from their friends and their families. Think about it. churches can't even gather. We were being isolated and quarantined. So we're physically being isolated. And then we feel separate spiritually, separate from our creator, separate from, from God hmm. as a result of all the fear and all the anxiety and all the doubt, all of that is causing us to feel separate, divided, and anxious. And you could see what's happening in the oh, world. Yeah. It is it is playing out in such a major way. Like once you understand these Ds, you see the truth playing out. And that's what I love. I'm so thankful. You know, God has used me to write this, to be able to expose the Ds, expose the enemy for what's going on, to show what's really happening. So that way we can overcome these Ds to win the battle. It's so clarifying, John. Um, before I got your book, I got, uh, I was listening to you and Donald Miller on StoryBrand. And uh, I remember what I was doing. I was cleaning my cars in the driveway and I was listening to you list the five D's. And I'm like, you just read the mail of every human being, like, and every leader. And you think about this, this is applicable in the church. It's applicable in companies. Like what, what kills people? It's discouragement, distraction, um, division and doubt and distortion. It's all those things. That's what kills team culture. One of the things you had to do was, you know, as you bring this out to sports teams and businesses, is you've got to convince people that there actually is a battle between good and evil. And I know you cover that in the book, but that feels like, and again, you got a lot of preachers, you got a lot of business leaders listening. That feels like a tough sell these days, but it's not really a tough sell, is it? It's not because I think they, they see the evil going on. The thing is, people think one side's evil versus the other side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I'm good. You know, it's all those other guys. Right. So it's really important to understand that that evil is fighting evil right now and probably in many ways. Right. It's evil versus evil. Erwin actually and I talked about this the other day and we were like, you know, maybe there's just, there's evil battle and evil. And as the church, Erwin's so good. He's like, as the church, we are the fighters and the, and the preservers of the good. We're the ones who need to fight for the good. We need to be the good that transforms the society. Maybe we're not going to find good in politics right now, but we got to find the good in the church. We got to find the good in us to make the transformation and have the impact we need to have in the world. So it must come, right? It must come from within each person. So yeah, we, we can see, we can see it playing out. But one of the ways I made the case is I talk about 
Superman and Black Panther. And we know Chadwick Boseman just, just passed mm, away. Yeah, sadly. Incredible talent and yeah, just so sad. And you just see every epic story, Harry Potter, they're all a battle of good versus evil. Mm-hmm. And I say, why does that resonate so much with us? Because that's the battle inside of our soul. And if you see it play out in the world and what's going on in terms of the evil that plays out and you see the mass murders and you see what's going on, going on in Africa and overseas and you see genocide and you see pedophilia and you see people um, committing horrible acts, you know that evil exists. Yeah. And so yeah. everyone could understand that, that there really is a battle going on. And once you understand the negative thoughts, and you that really opens people's eyes because when they're like, wait a second, I would never choose these negative thoughts, wait, that's that's a little, that's that's strange. Yeah, I never would choose them. Once you start to help them understand that, that thoughts are spiritual and they're not coming from them. And then you can equate it to the garden and show that analogy. What I have found is it does open people's eyes. Not everyone, right? But it opens a lot of people's eyes. And then once you see there's a battle of good versus evil, then the key is, you know, how do we win the battle? So again, not everyone's gonna resonate with this. Not everyone's gonna see the truth but maybe at some point they will in their life when they finally open their eyes. But I don't know, when you look around, you could see the battle of good versus evil. Now, when I go to talk to a business, right, I'm not talking about the battle of good versus evil, right? When I'm talking to a sports team, I really don't go with the battle of good versus evil. I just pretty much share, hey, these are the five Ds that mm. are causing you to be so anxious right now. These are the five Ds that will sabotage you in your performance. And I just basically talk about doubt and discouragement and the distortion, the negative lies and fear and the distractions and the division. And if if they're secular, they still get the five Ds, but it does open their eyes. And I share the best advice I ever heard from Dr. James Gills. He's the only person on the planet to complete six double Ironman triathlons, yeah. which means you do an Ironman, a day later you do another one. Last time he did, he was 59 years old and he was asked how he did it. He said, I've learned to talk to myself instead of listen to myself. He said, if I listen, I hear all the fear, the negativity, all the doubt, all the reasons why I can't finish this race. But if I talk to myself, I could feed myself with the words and the encouragement that I need to keep on moving forward. It's exactly what we just talked about. Mm. And so many athletes, so many business leaders resonate with that story. And once you do, you can say, okay, I'm not gonna listen to the negative lies, the fear. I'm gonna speak truth. I'm not gonna buy the doom and gloom. I'm gonna invest in faith, love and hope. And as a leader of a church or a business, I'm going to be a positive leader that leads with optimism and belief. And let's face it, if you're a Christian, you should be leading with optimism and yeah. belief. As someone who was a new believer, I was so shocked at how many Christian leaders were actually very pessimistic and negative. I never understood that as someone who was a new Christian, because before I became a Christian, I always thought if you're a Christian, it just means that you totally have faith that you believe in God. So of course you would believe the best is yet to come. You would believe in that great things are gonna happen. You wouldn't allow pessimism to set in and yet it shows you. And I wrote about this in the book, right? I, I about the kids and they asked Mr. Irwin, well, well, if this is true, then how come there's so many Christians that are that are, that are are negative and pessimistic and down? And, and Mr. Irwin says, it's because they have forgotten the truth. Yeah. That if they would yeah. actually know the truth and remember the truth, they would have faith. They would have hope. They would trust in God. They would know that Jesus is the answer. So you've touched on it a little bit. What is the antidote to the five Ds? You've talked about talk to yourself, don't listen to yourself. That was so clarifying for me. Anything else we can do to battle back against these five Ds and not let them win the day? 
yeah, let's give the antidote, which is, which is very hopeful and very encouraging as it should be. And the truth is when there's doubt, we should trust. We trust mm. in God. We trust in his plan for our life. And honestly, that's what I had to do when COVID hit and all my business events were being canceled and I was losing probably a million dollars. Wow. Yeah. I said, you know what? I trust in you, God. You have always carried me. All, I want to tear up. I, you've always carried me all these years. Everything I have, everything I am is because of you. And so I will not stop. I will not stop trusting now. I will continue to trust in you. And I just had this incredible trust and faithfulness. And it's been so amazing to see God show up in my life. And it has really strengthened my faith and my relationship because I totally got back to just relying on him. Like the roots grew deeper. The water was less, but my roots grew deeper. And I was just being open and trusting and surrendering. And that should be our posture and position each day and trusting God. And so to see him work is just incredible. Like trust in God. Now I'm trying to do that with my kids because I have a 22 year old and a 20 year old. And again, they're both struggling in their journey. And so I have to trust in him with my kids. It's harder to trust. It is. Yeah, that one's tough. Yeah. So if you can pray for my kids, everyone, I would I'd appreciate that 22 and 20 year old. So trust. And then when there is distortion lies, we speak truth to the lies. Right. And the truth is you're here to do great things. The truth is God put greatness in you. You were never meant to be average. You're made in his likeness and image. And Jesus said, even greater things than I, mm. shall you do talk about encouraging. And so you are here to speak truth to those lies. And then instead of discouragement, we encourage. So every day we're encouraging. I love when Zig Ziglar was told, Zig, motivation doesn't last. And he said, neither does bathing. It's why you have to do it every day. <laughs> and so to wake up every day and feed yourself with positivity, because if you don't have it, you can't share it. So you want to feed yourself to feed others. A new term I heard from, from David Jeremiah. David sent me his new book called Forward. It's a manuscript. And I love David Jeremiah. And he talked about it. It's called biblical optimism. I love that term. Biblical optimism. It's not just optimism, but biblical optimism. And so making sure that we feed ourselves every day with biblical optimism. You get up in the morning, you can rise and shine or rise and whine. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean W-I-N-E. We don't want to rise in <laughs> W-I-N-E. We want to rise and shine so we can shine on others. And if you're not, even a Christian, if you're listening to this, Duke University did st a study on optimists and they found they worked harder, got paid more, and were, and we're more likely to see, succeed in business and sports. And what they found was that these optimists, because they believed in a brighter and better future, they took the actions necessary to create it. It became a self-fulfilling prophecy. And so what we believe determines what we create. But I find it so funny, Carrie, because the actual researchers said they used the term deluded, that these people deluded themselves <laughs> into believing it was possible. They deluded themselves. We might choose the term faith or optimism, but think about it as a Christian, Delusion. people often think we're deluded. Like we're deluding ourselves that there's a heaven. We're deluding ourselves that, that, that Jesus is who he said he was. We're deluding ourselves to believing that the future is better. We're deluding. And yet it comes down to belief and faith. You may know the source of this better than I do. I'm gonna. I'm. My memory tells me it might be John Gottman, but it might not be. But they were. There was a study done a number of years ago about um, good marriages, marriages mm, yep. that were healthy after 50, 60 years. And one of the things that was true, rather than focusing on the faults of their partner, their spouse, 
they actually had an a distortedly optimistic view of who that person was. They didn't even notice that they slurped their soup or you know <laughs> that that uh, maybe maybe they they weren't appropriate in every situation. In other words, they had a more charitable view than perhaps the facts would warrant for this person they're married to, which I thought was a really interesting study. And we're 30 years into our marriage. And, you know, as time goes on, I'm like, yeah, I actually, I actually, well, I I think I married an incredible woman, but I would say I can see us trending in that direction where we kind of overlook each other's faults, which I think the Bible has something to say about, you know? I I think you're right on that. And I think, and I know my wife and I talked about that in our book, Relationship Grit, that we just, you know, came out with. We talked about a new research from John Gottman that showed that, that couples that actually take time for each other, that they go out of their way to just help each other, where you might bring your wife this article to show her or a video clip or, hey, can I get your help with this or vice versa? And we actually take the time in that moment to help our our spouse. And when we do that, the research shows those marriages are more likely to stay together when we are allowed to be interrupted in those moments. Instead of saying, I'm too busy, we take the time for each other. So it's about optimism. Mm. It's about belief, supporting each other's strengths. And then there's also that research on, on interactions that 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 marriages that have a ratio of three to one, actually I think it's five to five one. To five one, to yeah. one, positive five over to negative. One, positive to negative interactions is key. But also the the give and take and the being there for each other, which again is a whole other tangent. But I think it's important to share because I think, you know, as someone who was pretty narcissistic in the past and when I wasn't a believer, almost ruined my marriage. I was always too busy for my wife. And as Christ changed me and Jesus changed me from the inside out, what happened was, yeah, I made time whenever she would ask me to do things. I even do the laundry now. And in doing the, <laughs> doing the like, I'm known for the laundry, but even in doing these little things, it's really strengthened our, our marriage. So there's a lot of little things that we can do that are important to, to help the marriage. But going back to, I think that brings us to the next D, which is, which is distractions. And the way we overcome that is to focus on what matters most. Mm. And what matters most? Well, our relationship with God and our relationship with each other, our family, our friends, our team, not allowing all the distractions to to cause you to fight. On Facebook, we're losing relationships with friends and, and neighbors because we're fighting about COVID and masks and all these other things instead of what matters most. Like my brother and I early on got into a lot of disagreements on things. And, but we, we always stayed true to our relationship and we would argue and I, 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 I totally disagree with him and, but he disagreed with me. But even with all of that, you know, we, we stayed strong together, but I'm seeing a lot of, a lot of, a lot of relationships getting hurt by people getting distracted. So focus on what matters most, getting better every day, staying positive every day, winning today, like win every day. And if you win today and don't worry about tomorrow, you're going to create a great future, but the focus is on winning today. What are you doing today to make yourself better, to make people around you better, to develop your relationships? Because no matter what is happening with COVID or the racial unrest or the political scene, if you focus on what matters most, you're going to be improving your life and you're going to be improving the people around you. And that's what we're called to do. So don't allow the distractions to keep you from what matters most. Distractions are the enemy of greatness. So when we focus on what matters most, that brings us to the last where we overcome division, and that's to unite. And as I share in the book, and this is where I just got bold, I'm like, okay, I can't just talk about unite without sharing like the real story and closing the deal. <laughs> and the way you close the deal 
in this book is you got to talk about Jesus because he came to unite us back to the father. Because what happened in the garden with our flaws and our sins and our mistakes and our focus on self-reliance, through him, he redeems, he restores, and he brings us back to the father and creates the oneness, the unity that we were born for, that we were made for, that oneness with God. And that's where we find peace. That's where we find joy. And that's where we win the battle. The battle has already been won. The oneness is already there. Jesus came and fought the battle for us. So you're not fighting, as I wrote in the book, you're not fighting for victory. You're fighting from victory. Yeah. So you have to know you're already victorious. Like victory is yours. Remembering that truth, that you are one with God. And stop taking the bait of hate. Stop believing the lie that you're separate. Stop believing the enemy and focus instead on the oneness with God and focus on what Jesus came to do and what he does for you and trusting and believing in him. That's where true unity happens. As someone who wasn't a, was a non-believer, I was losing the battle. I was getting my butt kicked. I was fearful. I was stressed. I was anxious. My wife almost left me. I grew up uh, Jewish. My, 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 both my parents, I'm 98% Ashkenazi Jew. So I was like that, that New York neurotic Jew who, who just like didn't trust in God. And literally like when I, when I came to believe in Jesus, my connection with God, my, my relationship with the creator of the universe, right? Through the father, the son, and the Holy spirit through that relationship, it changed everything. So now yeah. I was united. Now I'm getting these ideas. I'm being used for his purpose. I'm surrendering. I'm trusting. And I became someone that, that he can use to do his work, to share his mission, not mine. I don't want to build my kingdom, right? A lot of, a lot of speakers we know, we go out there and we start to think it's our kingdom. No, we're here yeah. to build God's kingdom. And yeah. that's our mission. That's our purpose. So I'm going to die. My, my parents are both gone. My dad mm. died a few years ago. My mom died when she was 59. So I understand the temporary nature of our, our or of our existence and our experience and our reality. And what did Jesus come to do? He always talked about the eternal nature and what is temporary and what is lasting and what endures. And he always told us to focus on the eternal nature of the soul and what really matters most. And so for me, that's the focus. And that's where unity happens. And that's where we win the battle. I love how in the first time you were on the show, we talked about that story. And if you're wondering that maybe this is your first exposure to John for a couple, I doubt it, but let's say it is. You're like, how can this guy be so positive? You need to go back and listen to the original episode where you learned about that <laughs> sharp turn you had in your life, right? Where negativity was taking you. It was a sharp turn when you say it was like, like Jesus changed everything. Like I yeah. am definitely an example of, of a miracle of what yeah. he of what he can do and his power, his strength. Yeah, it's, it's you know, amazing. Like it amazes me sometimes of what I believe, what I believe, that how he has used me, how he's changed me, and how the guy who would lead me to Christ, Irwin, from his sermons that I listened to, that we would become, you know, great friends all these years later. It's just funny how God works and how this book that's about Jesus would make it on the number one bestseller. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it debuts faster than any of the other books, right? Which yeah. is incredible. It hey, shouldn't even be on the, about, the business list. It shouldn't even be in the business <laughs> category. I want to ask you a couple more questions. So you talk about unity versus division. So right now across America, very racially divided, you're dealing with a ton of sports teams. And without telling tales out of school, I mean, it's in the NBA, the NFL, where you see some of these racial divisions are making national news about we're not going to play or we're not going to kneel or whatever. How do you bring about 
unity in the locker room to pull a team together that is feeling those divisions in in some cases for you know incredibly reasonable like reasons good reasons yeah, it's like yeah reason. there actually is a problem how do you get a team like that to work together well you talk about the real issues you will have a difficult conversation as a team and you yeah. will talk about the problems you'll talk about what people are experiencing what they're feeling i have a positive university podcast and i interviewed doc rivers on my podcast before what he shared the other night. I interviewed him a few months ago during during the riots, actually, when the riots were happening. Yeah. You literally hear, could hear the helicopters overhead as we're as we're talking about it. And he told me how he got pulled over quite often, you know, just for being black. Mm. And so when you hear stories of Doc Rivers, even as an NBA coach and a superstar getting pulled over, you know that there's challenges. As someone who is the son of a police officer, my dad was a New York City police officer. I feel qualified to talk to them about you know, the police standpoint and the systematic racism and oppression that has existed in this country. So I can see all of it. And then you talk about it from a leadership perspective, not a political perspective. Mm. And so for me, I've been sharing, I did the other night actually, it was me and uh, several black coaches in the Big East. They have an organization where they they want to speak to all of the athletes of the Big East, mostly on the basketball side of things, who are mostly, uh, you know, mostly black players. And I was so honored they asked me to be one of their their first speakers. And I shared it, put it all on the line of what I thought needed to be done, what the problem was. And so I think it's about listening and understanding. Mm. And I think a lot of times people will talk about the incidences and they'll talk about how, well, these people were criminals who who did this, yeah. this, and this, and they'll, you know, they give, they give that argument. And so what I try to do in those instances is say, okay, yes, that's true, but it's obviously triggering in people something. So what's triggering them? Really listening to them. And what you find as you really listen to people, the reason why it's triggering a lot of these athletes and people is because they've had their own experiences yeah. with law enforcement growing up where they didn't feel valued. They didn't feel recognized. They felt prejudiced because of their skin color. So for me, the way you get through this is by talking about it, listening, and instead of going all CNN and Fox, you know, yeah, where, yeah, you know, because because it's a it's you can't go there, and you really can't look at it from a political perspective. You see the big picture, you understand truth, you understand the way forward. And I talked about even last night, like we can't just keep moving from outrage to outrage because that doesn't do any good. Like, if you really want to solve the issue, let your outrage and anger move you to conviction and passion and purpose and love and prayer where real change is going to be created. So mm. it's not the event that should trigger you. We can't focus on the events. We got to focus on the principles and the systematic issues that need to be addressed. And if we can address it in a systematic way with real solutions, real leadership solutions that are available, that are beyond politics. Because if you look at the Democrats and Republicans that were in office over the years, I don't think anyone has really drilled down and solved the issues that need to be addressed. Mm -hmm. And so I know what issues need to be addressed. We have community policing programs that work. Take the ones that work where you create a partnership with your communities and actually model that. My good friend, Quinton Williams has, has done that. Incredible, you know, uh, leader has done that. And so he's working with community partnerships. It's about making sure that 
We have criminal justice reform that needs to be addressed. We know that's an issue. It's about investing in, in black communities, really investing in the communities. So I actually supported and invested in Lecrae's project, Peace Prep Academy. Oh yeah, so yeah. Lecrae's on the on the show around sometime around the time your episode will be on. Awesome. I love Lecrae and I had him on my podcast and he in, invested in this school. And so I am now investing in the school because I believe awesome. that's how we solve the problem. That's how we create solutions. We invest in children, we invest in the school, and then they're actually creating real estate and community around the school. And if we can do that one community at a time, that's where real change is going to happen. So how can we focus on solutions? I also funded an after-school program with um, with Anthony Barr, who plays for the Vikings, and Josh McCown, who's a quarterback for the longtime quarterback for a number of teams. Two great guys. We funded this after-school program for two years in the South Bronx. And that's a great way to actually create solutions. So, so having each person understand that they can contribute, they can be part of the solution, addressing the real root issues that need to be addressed. And it's all done through leadership. That's why, you know, again, I write the power of positive leadership. I wrote the power of a positive team. If you're interested in my corporate work, that's where I would say like, that's, you know, what's going to be my legacy. I think the garden's important, but for me, it's about leaders developing leaders and building strong teams. And the power of positive leadership is basically Jesus's model for leadership with secular language. Because if you look mm. at how he led, everything applies to how he led, but in a way that you can lead today and lead your team. And so if we can do that with vision and purpose and accountability and optimism and belief and love and accountability together, and we lead with these principles, we're going to create transformation in our society, in our, in our, in our world. So we need less politics, more leadership. Yeah. Uh, so sorry, oh, that, for that, sorry for that rant, but that's, no, that's, no, that's that was I've great. Said with, I've said that to teams. I've said that to these groups of coaches. And again, it's been really cool to speak again to an interracial group and have people. Yes, I understand, but I refuse to go down the political um, realm because that's not going to help anybody. And Jesus was, you know, was apolitical. And yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. Not everybody would, but I would agree that Jesus was apolitical. I want to finish on distraction because uh, I think in the book, when the kids show up, and if, if if you read the book, you'll see this parable, but it's these two teenagers who keep showing up at Mr. Irwin's house. And on the day he's teaching on distraction, I think there's a fancy car in the driveway and I don't know, a hot tub in the backyard or something like that. There were dollar bills on the trees. Dollar bills you know? on the trees. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So you've had a, a a large measure of success in your life. I imagine if you didn't want to work financially, you probably didn't have to if, if, if you didn't want to, et cetera, et cetera. How do you stay focused? How do you, because there's a lot of young leaders who are like, you know, it's the, oh, if I win the lottery scenario, what, right? Which they probably don't play. But like, you know, if somebody gave me a million dollars, what would I do with my life? And we almost automatically go to comfort. Well, I'm going to buy a nice house or I'm going to, you know, buy a nice car. I'm going to sit in a hammock in the Caribbean or something like that. How do you stay focused and undistracted on the mission when you probably have a thousand things that could take your eye off what you're called to do? I appreciate you asking that. That's such a great question. In terms of my money, I always tithe more than 10% to yeah. the church. And so I'm always tithing more than 10%, uh, sometimes 20%. But I'm always giving back to the church and missions and organizations because I know that's important. Because I know ultimately what I have is not ultimately mine. Yeah. Um, my wife and I are really focused on making a difference and leaving a legacy. And I know that, again, everything is temporary. So I don't 
ever get my success or get my identity caught up in my net worth or in how many books I've written or how many sales has happened. Hey, I interviewed Max Lucado the other day and, and uh, oh, yeah. he has over a hundred million copies of his books in print, right? I was, uh, I was on his face. Max, uh, Max shot me a text recently just to encourage me. Of course he did. He's the nicest so guy. Good. I'm on his Facebook page the other day. He has like 12 million followers. I'm like, Max, you're in a, you're, you live in another universe, man. I love Max. I'm interviewing with Max and he literally starts to ask me questions about my life. (laughs) And people were like, is he just the nicest guy ever? I'm like, yes. Like he was so interested in me as I'm trying to interview him. I'm like, okay, I want to be more like him. Oh, he's great. To answer your question, really, it is about a mission and it's about a call and it's about a purpose. And yes, I don't need to do all the events that I go do. But no matter what, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life because this is my purpose. This is why God created me. And I know I'm here to do this work for him. And it has nothing to do with money. I never did anything for the money. I didn't write books for the money. I never spoke for the money. Do I charge accordingly? Yes, there has to be a value to it. Mm-hmm. But for me, I'll always do some pro bono events. I'll always do church events for a lot less than yeah. my corporate rate. I do a lot of school events because I love speaking to schools and making a difference. So for me, it's the mission that drives me. It's the mm-hmm. purpose that drives me. It cannot be any of the external factors or the external conditions or the external rewards. It has to come from within. And I know that God created me to do this. And so I'm here just to do this. And I really believe that the reason why it took me so long to have success was so that God would mold me and shape me and and, and teach me to be humble along the way and know that everything I have is because of him. And I just have to do his work. I feel like if I stop doing his work, I'd probably, I'd like die. Like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. No, all I know, right, I know that feeling. Work, you're done. Maybe that's that Jewish guilt that I might have, you know, that I'm born <laughs> with. But, but I feel like if I just stop, like, I really feel like oh, there are days that I'm exhausted and I, and I want to do other things. And I feel like, like, no, I have to do this. Like God's using me for this and I have to do this right now. And there are times that I feel like God's just going to use me up and use me for his purpose. And when he's done with me, he's done with me. And that's okay. Like whatever he wants me to do, I will do. And I will trust in him with childlike obedience. So, so yeah, that's why I do what I do. And again, I, I don't, I, I've thought a lot of, about it and it will, it will, the money will never drive me. Do I have a nice house? Yes. Did I buy a place in Santa Monica? Yes. So we could spend more time out in, in California mm-hmm. so I can go to Mosaic more when they're open again, hopefully yeah. and, and spend and spend more time, you know, in the church community. Do I love being out here so I can have, you know, do some things of influence and in, in the media world and, and do some movie stuff. I want to do some faith-based movies and things like that. Yes. But not because I want to, I know that that was God that brought us out here for this opportunity to do that. And so everything we decide, when you know what kind of legacy you want to leave, that helps you decide how to live today. Mm. And so my end game, like, what am I thinking about? I want a great funeral. That's, that's my focus. I want to have a great funeral that, that at my funeral, people will come up to my kids and they will say, your dad made a difference in my life. Wow. And the greatest thing that they could say is, you know what? He gave me hope. He gave me optimism. And hopefully they'll say he, he led me to faith. I had someone who read the garden like the first week and it was a Jewish woman and she reached out. She said she read the garden and the email said, I'm giving Jesus my life. Whoa. Wow. That, John. Yes. So it was like, okay, like that was God showing me. That's why I created you. You're here for that to encourage. And this book is just a form of encouragement to bring people closer 
to me. So my faith in God doesn't make life easier. It makes me stronger. And on my own, I'm fearful, but with God, I'm faithful. And so in, in that work, it basically comes down to, you know, doing what he's called you to do. Uh, John, thanks for sharing so much of your heart in this conversation. Um, so two new books, The Garden, and then I haven't got my hands on the one. Is it uh, Relational Grit or? It's Relationship Grit. Yeah, I'd love, yeah. To, I'd love to send that to you because it, yeah, it yeah, yeah. it's our ups and downs of our, of our relationship. And my wife shares her, her story, her thoughts, her opinions. And uh, a lot of it of me is not good early on in the book. <laughs> Oh, that'll be great. That That's so real. And uh, John, for anybody who wants to find you online, uh, what's the easiest website? They can just go to johngordon.com, J-O-N, gordon.com. And then from there, you know, they can find yeah. everything else. Go down the rabbit trails. John, once again, it's been a joy. Thank you so much. Hey, Carrie, thanks for listening to me rant. <laughs> so <much laughs> it's been great. I appreciate it's been it. Great. I really enjoyed and appreciated that one. And uh, man, oh man, I'll tell you, it's uh, it's just great to see how God uses people. And God is definitely using John Gordon. So uh, the book is called The Garden. You can get it anywhere books are sold. And of course, we have show notes for you. So you can head on over to kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 376, where uh, you'll find, well, some things you can share on social, uh, all the links we talk about, including links to the book and to John's website. And uh, a good summary of some of the insights. Uh, my team puts that together, and I'm really grateful for them. Thank you, by the way. I don't do this enough to my staff who make all of this possible. Thanks to Aaron Ward, my podcast manager, Dylan Smith, content manager. They get the show notes together. Of course, I have a look at them too, but they do all the heavy lifting and much more. Uh, thanks to Brad Lominick, who helps with this podcast. Uh, if you haven't checked out his new H3 leadership. To Sam Newhoff, who takes care of marketing and so much more. To Jacqueline Clark, my new EA. To Anita Hintz, who works on web development and graphic design for the company. And we have a couple of team members right now who are off uh, caring for their new kids. To Sarah Piercy and to Lauren Cardwell. So, yeah, we get to do this. The content we produce uh, gets accessed over a million and a half times a month by leaders from around the world. But it's really that team that makes it possible. So really, really grateful. And thanks to Toby Lyles, who uh, produces every single episode of this podcast. Can you believe that? We're pushing 400 episodes. He's done them all. So just wanted to give a shout out to my team. I know sometimes at the end, some podcasts will do like, you know, credits and that kind of thing. But I just wanted to give credit where credit is due. We got a What I'm Thinking About segment coming up. And I want to talk to you about the mental game we play in our heads about competition and who our real competition is. So this segment is brought to you by Pro Media Fire. Christmas is almost upon us. So head on over to ProMediaFire.com for a free digital media strategy at ProMediaFire.com forward slash church growth. And Remodel Health, get in on the savings like everybody else is. Go to RemodelHealth.com forward slash carry. Uh, give your team the same or better benefits. And uh, well, our listeners have saved over $2 million in the last 18 months. It's so cool. So what am I thinking about? I'm thinking about the game we all play in our heads about who our competition is. So uh, one of the mistakes I, I have made as a church leader at times early on and had to call myself on this, and then I've seen others make, is that we actually think people who are really in the same business that we are are our competitors. Simon Sinek talks about this in his brand new book, um, Infinite Game, not brand new, but his latest book, The Infinite Game, where he says they're not really your competitors, they're your worthy rivals. Uh, but maybe you've got 
some people down the road or across the street or online who you're like, oh, you're kind of jealous of and you're envious of. See, that that never does good. So so here are a few rivals uh, that maybe we need to get over. You know what a lot of people get uh, frustrated over is the mega church in your city or the mega church online. You know, you're scrolling through your Instagram or Facebook feed. You see like 3,000 people are watching this one church and you're like, I can't get three to watch mine or whatever. And maybe there's a growing church in your town and you're like, oh, they're stealing all the people or whatever. It seems like an epic sheep swap. But you know what? When when churches are doing well, I really think, you know, as a church leader, you ought to celebrate that. And when someone is hurting, you ought to hurt with them. You see, different churches trying to read the world does not create a case of Coke versus Pepsi or Amazon versus Walmart. No, if you decide to compete against another church, it's more like Coke deciding to take on Coke or Amazon battling Amazon. And that is usually known as suicide, right? Why? Because you're part of the same organization. One church should never try to take on another church, but we do. And when we do, everyone loses. So celebrate what God is doing for others. Focus on what he's called you to do. Then there's a church next door, okay? The church next door could be growing or whatever. And and when I get a little bit jealous and we all have these things or somebody in your field is, is doing really well, here's, here's what you have to remember, okay? Your church isn't the church. And when you think of it that way, you're wrong. Um, the pastor you resent is your ally, not your competitor. Okay, so if you're a church leader, or or really, I would see it the same way. Like uh, again, Simon Sinek in in his book The Infinite Game says that Microsoft was obsessed with seeing Apple as a competitor, and Apple wasn't. Apple was just focused on being the best. They just wanted to be the best, and they weren't really, you know, they paid attention to Microsoft. But it's a very different mindset, and I think a much healthier one. Okay, another competitor. I think church leaders are really going to struggle with um, in-person attendance versus online attendance. Okay, so the new kid on the block for false competitors is in-person attendance. In other words, we want everyone back in the room. If you're going to be part of real church, uh, forget online. You need to be in the building. Well, that's a false dichotomy because as churches reopen for physical gathering, you can sense an emerging competition between those who gather for real church and those who participate online. And... (laughs) The problem is, I think if you're trying to get people in the building at a set time, and that is your scorecard, you're preparing yourself for a future of diminishing returns. Online has so much greater potential than just being in person. Will you always have in person? Yes, you will. Will people enjoy it? Yes. Will people come? Yes. But if you set up this like the only real church is when you're in the building with me, I think you're setting yourself up for some false competition and some real disappointment. And then Here's a weird game. I've played this one probably more than any other of these games, but you know what a false competitor is for a lot of like church leaders? I'm sure business leaders too. The weather. You're thinking, okay, it's so sunny out, people are going to want to go to the beach or the ski hills or, or you know, oh, it's too stormy out, so we're going to lose 20% of people. And you play this game in your head with the weather. I talked to one pastor once, lives in a nice climate, and he said, I said, oh, you must not have weather factors. He said, no, I do. It's, you know what, when it's windy out, people don't come to church. I'm like, seriously? Oh, man. You know, listen, the weather is not your real competition. The church next door is not your real competition. Online church or in-person church, not your real competition. The mega church, not your real competition. You know what your real competition is? Indifference. That's what it is. Whatever you are leading, your competition is indifference. Because um, the reason people aren't coming out is they're just not thinking about you. Or 
if they are thinking about you, they don't see enough value to drop what they're doing to join in. So I think the enemy of all organizations is indifference. And here's the challenge. See, unchurched people wake up every day asking spiritual questions. They just don't think the church can help. And if you're a business leader, a marketplace leader, and you're like, wow, sales are down, you know what it is? It's people need your product, I assume. They just don't think you can help. So what you're really battling is indifference. So that's just been really helpful for me. Like if if stats are not moving in the right direction, it's like, you know what? I'm not adding enough value. So I just, I need to stop worrying about things I can't control, like the weather or the church next door or other leaders or, you know, whatever. And I got to say, you know what I got to do? I got to deliver value. And that's what we try to do around here. Now, taking things a little bit out of sequence, for those of you who noticed that, um, we have another episode coming up. Of course we do. Got a whole bunch lined up. And next time on the show, we've got Todd Wilson. Todd is the president of Exponential, the church planting organization. And we have a fascinating conversation about the return to church. And uh, well, here's an excerpt. Wanted my gut right now. I don't see the post-COVID numbers bounce. This isn't like a stock market. You know, what goes down comes back up. You know, in our yeah. life, so you and my lifetime, you could bet in the stock market from start to finish in our lifetime right now. What comes down goes back up. Um, is it going to go back up? I mean, yeah, it's going to go back up. Is it going to, how quickly is it going to go where it was and will it ever get to where it was? Or are we going to see it in a decentralized way? I wouldn't be betting on it coming back quickly. That is going to be a really interesting episode. So stay tuned for that. Subscribers, you get it all for free. You know that. Also coming up, we've got uh, Andy Stanley coming back on the podcast. Maybe we'll kick off 2021. Mark Batterson, Lisa Turkhurst, William Vanderblum, and Scott Sauls, and Sarah Anderson, Beth Moore, Kayla Steckline. Um, who else? Well, John Acuff is going to come back, which will be fun. Patrick Lencioni, Rachel Cruz, and so many others. So so excited to uh, have you as part of the journey, to be on this journey with you. Uh, you can learn more at kerryneuhoff.com. Thanks so much for listening. And I hope our time together today will help you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Kerry Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.